Romans chapter 12, that's our text this morning. If you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, would you open them to Romans chapter 12? We're in a series called Committed to Worship. And we're going to come to verse 3 this morning, and we're going to see a word in my version, which is the first word. We're going to see that this is not a new thought by the Apostle Paul. He's continuing to teach what he began in verse 1. That's what the word for tells us. It demands continual thought. He's beginning, he's continuing what he began just two verses before. And he's saying, based on the foundation of truth that I just gave you, here is how you live it out. That is, commit yourself fully to live exclusively for God, refusing to live like the world, renewing your mind by the Word of God, and the resulting transformation will enable you to live and love God's will, His good, pleasing, perfect will. Friends, that is a commitment to worship. And there's been nobody, there's been no one that's been effective for God who was not first devoted to Him. And Paul's about to show us how we ought to live out God's will as both His servants in the church and His servants in the world. An effective service to God requires that our minds are renewed to right thinking, so that we will think rightly about ourselves. Now here it is, this is what all, all of what we're talking about this morning in verse 3, is that we will think rightly about ourselves, and then we're going to see that we need to think rightly about other people, and we need to think rightly about the church. And this is where Paul's about to turn. Look what he says in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You know, the famous inventor, inventor Samuel Morse was once asked, if he ever encountered a situation where he didn't know what to do, and I want you to hear his story, Morse responded more than once, and whenever I could not see my way clearly, I knelt down and prayed to God for light and understanding. You see, Morse received a lot of honors for his invention of the telegraph, but he fell undeserving. Here's what he said in this is going to underpin this entire message. You ready? I have made a valuable application of electricity, not because I was superior to other men, but solely because God, who meant it for mankind, must reveal it to someone, and He was pleased to reveal it to me. The way we think about ourselves is a determining factor for how well we will live out the will of God and serve Him. The way we think about ourselves is going to determine that. So let's look again at how Paul thought about himself. Look what he says, the first few words, for by the grace given to me. You know what that word grace means? Now listen, I know a lot of you have read this countless times. You may never have known that that word grace means ministry assignment. It was an appointment to serve God. And God would pour out His grace through Paul. That's the way Paul looked at himself. 
Look what he says in Galatians 2. Peter, Paul writes, had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, the Jews, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me from mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, here it is, perceived the grace that was given to me, perceived that God had given me an assignment to take the gospel to the Gentiles, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. He says it again, Ephesians 3. To me, Paul writes, though I am the very least of all saints, the grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, of grace, of Christ. Paul's saying that God gave him the assignment of apostleship in the church. In fact, it was his favorite way of talking about his role in the church. As Romans 15 tells us, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus. Now, friends, listen, Paul didn't raise his hand to be an apostle. He didn't volunteer to serve God. In fact, friends, he was opposing God. He hated the church. God chose him by grace. And one fateful day on the road to Damascus, he utterly changed Paul and gave him the assignment to be an apostle of the church. And Paul's response? It was to be a living sacrifice to God, committed to serving him. Now listen, this is the mindset of a servant of God. It's the mindset of a servant of God. And Paul wants every one of us to think similarly. Look what he says. I say to every one among you. We all need to hear what Paul is about to, to say. There are no exceptions. This is a command from God through Paul for Christians everywhere of every age who have experienced the same grace, who have been given a ministry assignment. Now listen, please. Every one of you, if you are in Christ, everyone, there are no exceptions. Everyone has been given a ministry assignment by God. Do you agree with that? Do you really agree with that? The instructions are found in the Word of God. The power to live that assignment is in the Spirit of God. The tools to know how to live it out are the gifts of God and the building up of the church is the plan of God. You have a job to do. I have a job to do. We have a purpose to live out and it requires right thinking to do it. So how should we think of ourselves? Paul is going to tell us three ways that if we're going to be living sacrifices, fully committed to God, living out the ministry assignment that he's given to us, if we're going to do that, if we're going to do that successfully, there's three ways that we need to think of ourselves. You ready? You're all going to remember this at the end of this sermon. And then like normal, you're going to forget it by the time you're home. Number one, not too highly. How do we think about ourselves? Not too highly. Look what he says. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now, friends, listen. Here's a Bible study principle. Whenever you, think, whenever you see Scripture repeat itself, take note. 
Four times the word think occurs in verse 3. One of those is about to surprise you. Here they are. I say, this is my version, the English Standard. I say to everyone, or English uh, Standard Version, I say to everyone among you not to, here it is, think, number one, of himself more highly, number two, that word means think, then he ought to think, number three, and to think with sober judgment. God is saying something that we need to stand up and take note. The first two uses of this word, think, means to overthink, hyperthink, overestimate yourself. Paul's saying don't hyperthink of who you are. That's what the Greek word means, hyperthink. I should not think of myself, Paul says, as more gifted than others. I should not think of my gifts as more important than anyone else's. And in fact, that's what he says in Galatians 6.3. He gives us a warning. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now, friends, listen. I'm no exception to this. Every one of us tends to think wrongly about ourselves. That is the flesh. You know, Leonard Bernstein, the late conductor of the New York Philharmonic Orchestra, was once asked, and I love this illustration, he was once asked to name the most difficult instrument to play. You ready? Listen to this. Without hesitating, he replied, the second fiddle. Because I could get plenty of first violinists, but to find someone who can play the second fiddle with enthusiasm, that's a problem. And if we have no second fiddle, he says, we have no harmony. Can you play second fiddle? Honest? Humility is a coveted characteristic that we all ought to desire because without it coursing through our hearts and our minds, friends, listen, we're useless to God. I didn't overstate that. Without humility girding our minds and our hearts, we're absolutely useless to God. No prideful person volunteer, voluntarily climbs on the altar to live exclusively for God. Pride prevents it. Our old nature loves to think about ourselves often and highly. The world encourages us to overthink of ourselves. Our spiritual enemy seeks to plant our thoughts squarely on ourselves. It's a universal tendency to think of ourselves in an unhealthy way. You know, a lot of Christians, and there are some here, I am sure, succumb to an infection of the soul called comparisonitis. Here it is, the tendency to measure one's worth by comparing yourself to others. There's only two things that can happen with comparisonitis. You ready? Only two things. Either you're going to come out of it with a self-elevated thinking, or self-condemning thinking. There's no other possible responses from comparing yourself with anybody else. Charles Spurgeon once said, the higher a man is in grace, the lower he will be in his own estimation. Not because he's comparing himself with people, but because he's comparing himself with the Lord God. That's the accurate barometer. 
But when we compare ourselves with others and we either result in self-elevated thinking or self-condemning thinking, the world causes self-esteem. You want to know what the Bible calls it? You ready? It calls it pride and self-worship. Pride is what's coursing through the one who cannot receive commendation, who's always shrugging it off just as it is the one who thinks himself superior to everyone else. In fact, you ready? You want to see if pride is at work in a person's self-condemnation? Just simply agree with them. But you might want to get far away when you do. So yes, we should not think of ourselves too highly, Paul says, but he goes on. How ought we to think if we're going to be living sacrifices for God? We think with sober judgment. Look what he says. Think with sober judgment. The other two instances of the word think occur, and it means just what the text says. It means to think of ourselves with sound, right judgment, evaluation. It means to think of ourselves accurately and in the right measure. You know, Winston Churchill was once asked, doesn't it thrill you to know that every time you make a speech, the hall is packed to overflowing? It's quite flattering, replied Churchill. But whenever I feel that way, I always remember that if instead of making a political speech I was being hanged, the crowd would be twice as big. <laughs> the way we think affects the way that we serve God and others. Can you possibly argue with that? I'm hoping you are. So hang on to the Word of God. You ready? Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a what? Have this mind, have this thinking, because when you have the thinking of Christ, you will serve God. Notice the influence in the mind in what Paul said earlier in Romans in chapter 1. For although they knew God, they knew God, they, thought of, they knew the truth, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Notice the relationship with thinking and hearts. To become futile in our thinking is to shut out the light of God's truth and the result is a heart that has become dark that generates foolish living. Our minds, friends, listen, our minds are not lodged in our skulls. They are the thinking part of our hearts. That's what the mind is. Well, Pastor Tim, how do you know that? Because the Bible tells us so. Genesis 6, the thoughts of his heart. 1 Chronicles 29, thoughts in the hearts of your people. Jesus asked the scribes in Matthew, why do you think evil in your hearts? Matthew 15, for out of the heart come evil thoughts. Jesus asked, why do you question in your hearts the word of God? In Hebrews 4, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, discerning what the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Our minds think, and they're the thinking portion of our hearts. And they're centrally influential. 
on how we will live our Christian lives, which is why they must be renewed. It's why Peter wrote his epistle to the church. Look what it says. Why did Peter write First and Second Peter? The Bible tells you clearly, dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to remind you why? To stimulate you to wholesome thinking. That's the power of renewing the mind. That's the purpose of the word of God, that your heart thinks right. Sober judgment. Did you know that in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, there's a ministry for unwed mothers called the House of His Creation. It was founded by Jim and Ann Pearson. Now listen to this. This is, an, this is amazing. They noticed a recurring difficulty their young women faced. You see, many of them had become pregnant as a result of sexual sin, but they came to believe in Jesus and they received his forgiveness. But here's what happened as their pregnancies developed. They began to feel the babies moving within them and they would be reminded vividly of their former sins. Every baby's kick multiplied their guilt and the discouragement that they felt. So Anne began to teach them the scriptures and to apply it so that every time that baby would move, it would serve as a reminder that God had indeed forgiven them and that he would cause all things to work together for their good. So ladies, she would say, let the movements show you their joy for your peace and salvation. That's how you bring change. The Word of God renews the thinking portion of our hearts called the minds. And when they're renewed, it transforms our hearts. And a transformed heart generates righteous living. So Paul says, think of yourself with healthy, sound, sober judgment. You're one among many. You're no more. You're no less important than any other person in the church. Whether you're the pastor or the one who ushers people in, all are important. God has a will for you that is good, pleasing, and perfect, and he will enable you to live it out for the kingdom of God. That is sound, sober thinking, but there's more. Not only Paul says, don't think too highly of yourself. Not only think with sound, sober judgment. For friends, listen, how do you get sound, sober judgment? It's easy to say to think with it. How do you get your thinking to be sound and sober, Paul says, by the right measure? Look what he writes. Everybody look, verse 3, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. What on earth does that mean? That is puzzled Christian after Christian. Now, friends, listen, I'm going to explain this in a way that I don't think multi, most of you have ever thought of. And I'm going to tell you right now, this will free your life to serve. The humility that Paul is urging doesn't overestimate, it doesn't underestimate the gifts that God has given to us. It thinks rightly about what God has given to us in our necessary place in the church. Friends, listen, Christians and brothers, you can say this morning, ready? You can say this, God has gifted me. He has gifted me graciously and perfectly and will give me everything I need to use my gifts effectively to his glory. That is truth. 
How do I know that? Look at it again. Measure of faith that God has assigned. You know what measure of faith means? It means that the gift or gifts God has given to the believers is similar to the grace that was given to Paul, which meant his ministry assignment of apostleship. It's the perfect amount. Listen, what is a measure of faith? It's the perfect amount of our particular gift that God deemed necessary for you. That's what it means, measure of faith. It means, friends, that God's given you a gift in exactly the right measure or degree to accomplish what it is He has purposed you to do. This is incredibly freeing teaching. If you can teach, friends, but not as effectively as somebody else, don't feel insecure. Yes, study. Yes, learn, grow, and your use of the gifts. But friends, God has assigned each of us gifts in differing measures because he knows exactly how much is needed in every single church. There's a mindset that is pervasive in Christianity that if you devote yourself to God and do just what he tells you to do, then everybody will reap similar results. That's a mindset. It's a killer. So if one teacher is attracting large groups and another one isn't, then he or she is doing something wrong or they haven't perfected their teaching style. Haven't you ever wondered why it is that one preacher can speak and it seems every time dozens respond, dozens come to the altar, while another one speaks truth and only one person responds? It isn't necessarily that one didn't pray enough it's not that they didn't study enough. It's not that he's more inferior to the other person. The sound thinking Paul gives us is this. God gives his servants different gifts and different measures. Every single believer receives the exact gifts and resources needed to fulfill his or her role in the body of Christ as they commit to fully serving God. It's when we try and operate outside of those capabilities that we become jealous and envious and frustrated and guilty and often discouraged. And when I was a young pastor, I used to really, really dislike going to student ministry conferences because it seemed like every other youth pastor and all their ministries were thriving and growing and kids were committing to follow Christ, hundreds of kids in their youth ministries, and I'd come home to 30 or 40. I became discouraged and frustrated and doubted my calling. Lord, am I really meant to do this? God gives out different measures of gifts that you and I might both share in the building up of the church. But they are just what we need to do, what God has assigned and empowered us to do. Friends, this is sober, sound judgment, and it's evident, evidence of a mind that's being renewed by the power of God's word. You ever feel secure, insecure rather? God's not using you. You hear about all these other people being used by God. Doesn't seem like anything's happening through your ministry. That's the world squeezing you into its mold. 
Because the Word of God says He's given you exactly what you need in exactly the right measure to do exactly what He has asked you to do. This morning we saw how a mind being renewed thinks about him or herself, especially in the context of serving God and our church next week. We're going to look at what Paul does. He's going to turn his attention to see how we think about one another. And I cannot wait. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. Lord, I found it liberating. Lord, for years I had been saddled with insecurity till the word of God renewed the thinking portion of my heart, the mind, and freed me with the truth that you have given to me everything I need to serve you, the gifts that I need and in the right measure. And they may not compare favorably to other pastors and other preachers, but Lord, they are exactly what you want me to do. Lord, that's not a license to laziness. That's not an excuse for irresponsibility. We need to grow in our gifts. We need to use them. We need to exercise them by faith. But Lord, we are liberated, freed from comparing our, our gifts and our abilities to one another. Lord, there's no need for it. You know what you're doing. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Some I know are saddled with comparisonitis. Unfortunately, there's some who don't care. Both are wrong thinking. Lord, let us see that you've given every one of us Christians gifts to use in your church, and you've given us to them in the exact measure we need to be able to do exactly what you have asked us to do. Lord, we can take confidence in that. And in your name we pray, amen.